recording. So, welcome back to another base training podcast. I am here with myself, Lee Carter, <laughs> with Will Strafty and Stefan Winder. As always, we're going to tell you what we're going to go through. We're going to be talking about resistance training and how to get strong more predominantly. Um, and the fact that resistance training we see as king. But as always, before that, we're going to tell you where you can find us. So as quick as possible to get it out of the way, because we know it's a bit boring. You can find myself on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. On Lee Carter or at Lee Carter UK. My email address is Lee at Base Training. Um, Will, where can everyone find you? Uh, so Instagram, coach underscore Will underscore Strathdee. Facebook, Will Strathdee, health and fitness coach. LinkedIn, Will Strathdee. Email is Will at Base Training. Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at coach underscore Stefan underscore Winder. You can find me on Facebook, Stefan Winder, strength and movement coach. LinkedIn, Stefan Winder, MSC. And you can email me, Stefan at base.training. Excellent stuff. And if you want to find out more about just base training in general, you can head to the website www.base.training or email us at info at base.training. We're also on um, Instagram and Facebook, Base Training UK. We've also started releasing a newsletter um, every couple of weeks with loads of free tips and goodies and links and videos and uh, other stuff. <laughs> uh, if you want to be part of that list, you can drop us an email. Um, just saying you want to sign or sign me up and we can either send you a sign up form or we can just add you manually um, so without further ado resistance training we're going to define it or getting strong what is what is strength first i suppose um stefan what is strength we'll come to will for what is resistance training uh strength is the ability to express force and to overcome resistance simple as that simple as that what's I suppose before I want to go to Will, what are the, how, how does that happen? What does a muscle have to do? What do bones have to do to do that? For people that don't know. Stefan. <laughs> before we go to Will, before we go to Will. <laughs> so, um, your body has to contract. Your muscles have to contract. So, um, your body works as agonists and antagonists. Uh, so we have sets of muscles that work together to help and assist each other. Um, so, for example, if I went to pick up a remote control, I would put my hands around the remote control. I contract my forearm wrist flexors uh, in order to wrap my hands and fingers around the remote. I would then contract to shorten the length of my bicep bring my remote up to my face and then uh, simultaneously I've got my um, all the muscles in my shoulder girdle working in my rotator cuff they're all working as synergist muscles they're assisting and stabilizing my shoulder joint um, and I've also got my triceps working as well they're working in isometric contraction so they're contracted but not changing length in order to support the remote in the air and overcome that gravity and then I would extend my arm again by contracting my triceps, um, isometrically loading my bicep to hold my remote control, and then I would relax my wrist flexors, contract my extensors to open my fingers, 
and drop my remote control. <laughs> Excellent definition of how to pick up and put down a remote control. <laughs> Common You're welcome. Everyone. You're welcome, world. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that through that explanation, you can't isolate a muscle. Can't be done. And mm-hmm. even emphasising a muscle is tough to do. And the fact that when you do something, everything is working together. Every muscle in your body is working together as a system, as a whole, to allow you to do whatever it is you need to do. Pick up a pen or pick up a remote, as uh, Stefan so eloquently described (laughs) the process of. Um, Will, what is resistance training? Um, So resistance training would be using external loads, whether that be bar, dumbbell, bands, or just body weight, um, to increase your body's ability to produce force um, against the external resistance. There you go. Super simple. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit more about resistance training in a bit and kind of what it involves and entails. But what are the, what are the benefits and the pros of strength training? Why, is this, why do we think it's good for us? Why do we use it? Stefan. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's too many numerous benefits to uh, to list, but I'll just touch on some of uh, some of the best ones. So um, we can increase our bone density so that we can actually uh, carry loads or um, navigate against gravity more efficiently. Um, it's going to prevent your your bones from breaking they're not going to be as fragile so you can actually live a longer more healthy life because you're not going to be succumb to the effects of old age as it as quickly um you can increase uh, lean muscle um which is really a, a really good predictor of quality of life uh, your hand grip strength hand grip dynamometer test is actually the best predictor of uh, quality of life and how long that they predict that you will live uh, because if you have a stronger hand grip uh, then it's likely that you're actively involved in uh, resistance training and performing duties that actually involve manual labor and therefore you're predicted to live a longer healthy healthier stronger life um, increased ability to metabolize substrates um, due to the higher metabolic rate um, yeah, those are just a few. Anyone else want to chip in? I like what he said essentially about longevity. And it's, that is what it does, isn't it? It helps you live a longer and more fulfilled life, I suppose. And, uh, um, you don't have to be super strong, like world's strongest man strong. But having muscles that are able to resist gravity, are able to get you out of chair, able to allow you to run about with your kids, able to allow you to go on holiday and go scuba diving and um, climb a mountain or whatever it might be and do some sort of activity. It's going to allow you to have a higher quality of life and um, having grip strength in there as a predictor of mortality, I think is important to mention some other predictors of mortality. Um, one being leg strength. So the stronger your legs are as, as well with having a good grip, like you can get up the stairs. If you're 95 years old, and you can't get up the stairs, then you're either going to be moved into a, a bungalow and someone's going to be looking after you, or you're going to be moved into an old age home. 
I personally don't want that. I've seen that happen to some people, and like it's not a not a good quality of life. You start not getting outside, like you things just go downhill from there. I'd rather be, like I said, be climbing a mountain at ninety five, and then just drop dead. Just like yeah, done. Hand the card in, <laughs> hand the ticket in, punch that bitch. <laughs> done. <laughs> Um, and I'm out, down on top of the, down top of a mountain at 95. And so leg strength is going to be one of the things that carries you there. Why is going to be in a wheelchair? Simple as that. Um, also, keen to mention as well about how muscle mass or muscle tissue is involved in the maintenance of body fat. So if you have a higher level of lean muscle mass, like you said, the higher metabolic rate, and the more you have to eat to feed those muscles, and the more because the more they burn. The like, more likelihood that you're going to be active and the likelihood is that you're going to have a lower level of muscle, uh, body fat um, that's going to cause problems, again, as you age. You know, whether that's diabetes, heart issues, um, joint issues more predominantly. Um, no one wants to be having a hip replacement or knee replacement. Again, getting more and more common in younger people. Um, I had, uh, had someone contact me at, when was it? A while ago, who'd had a bilateral knee replacement, and they were like thirty-five, but they were extremely overweight. <laughs> like, um, so again, the more active you are, um, and that's got to be carried by strength. Anything to add, Will? Um, so I don't think Stefan mentioned it, but just injury prevention. Yeah. Um, so just obviously, uh, I just use like running as, as an example. Super simple. Um, people about running all the time that impacts and the force they have to um, absorb through their uh, lower limbs that go into the lower part of the torso. And they're able to do resistance training, their body's ability to handle that uh, load, that resistance will be increased. They're less likely to see injuries long term. And that just applies to a variety of tasks. <clears throat> it also helps. Like coming on from that point, it injury, like your immune system function is directly related to your muscle tissue health. And the higher quality of muscle tissue you have, the better you um you won't get ill as much, simple as that, which means especially if you've got a job that requires you there a lot to, for you to get paid. Maybe you might be self-employed or you've got a business to run or something like that. You can't afford to have time off because you don't get paid sick pay. If you have time off, then the company may take a direct hit because of it. And things might not operate as well as they possibly could do. Or if you're man, if you work in manual labor, maybe you're a builder and you take a day off work, stuff ain't going to get, the house ain't going to get built. So you ain't going to get paid. So if you've got a strong um, and high quality level of muscle mass, muscle tissue, then you're not going to be as uh, ill as often. It's quite simple. Um, and the research is there to back that up. So if we talked a little bit about the benefits and things. What are the things to be cautious of? Like, what do we need to have in place to be able to start resistance? Actually, before we go into that, what types of resistance training are there? We'll talk to, um, mainly about uh, external loads. What other, types of, well, what other types of resistance training we got? Uh, just your body weight is enough resistance and if you manipulate your body position to have to handle that body weight in a way that is outside of homeostasis. 
Perfect. Hello, Stacey. Love that definition. <laughs> Love that. Um, yeah, resistance training doesn't necessarily mean you have to be going and get a barbell or a dumbbell and doing a million reps um, till the muscle burns. You can do some body weight squats if you know how to squat. Like you said, you put them into a position that creates some excursion away from homeostasis, i.e. it causes some stress to the system and you'll adapt to it and you'll get a bit stronger. Next time, you have to add a tiny bit more stress. You have to add some variation to change the stressor and to change the adaption. You can play about with angles. You can play about joint positions. So much you can do before you ever need to touch a dumbbell. Um, if you don't know how to do that, obviously find a coach that can help you with that. Um, any any others that you can think of, Stefan? Um, no, not really. I mean, yeah, biggest one, like you mentioned, body weight using gravity. It's um, one of my favourite ways to do it in order to build up that technical competency before we then progress to um, bigger external resistances such as free weights, uh, dumbbells, kettlebells, barbells. Um, but yeah, no, um, those are the two big ones really for me. Um, then I suppose fixed loads, uh, fixed external loads as opposed to free external loads uh, so using resistance machines um, they do have their place I'm not overly keen on them unless there's a specific need uh, for example aesthetics if that person's goal is aesthetics or they're a competition bodybuilder for sure it's great it allows you to put more force in the right places to generate specific adaptation but with regards to actual technical competency and entire organism development much prefer free weight, free weights, and using body weight and gravity as your primary resistances. I was literally just about to bring that up as a point because I know I've had a couple of people ask me in the past what's what's better, free weights or fixed weights. Maybe not in that particular language, but I've always said, well, both have their place. Like both are yeah. good, um, but they have their place. If you know why you're using a piece of a piece of equipment, whether that's fixed or free, you can. You can, it, it doesn't, there's, there's no one that's better or worse, if that makes sense. Um, as long as you know why you're using it and you get the output that you want out of it, then it doesn't matter. I'm a big fan of cable machines. I like those because they allow for some um, safety and stability. And they also allow for a higher degree of freedom in, in your movements. They don't dictate the bar path. They don't dictate your movement. Um, they allow you to load up a load of weight really safely, especially if you're a beginner. Um, it's, a, it's a good place to start. It's, it's not a bad place to start. If you have no idea what you're doing and you just want to do some movement, you, maybe you can't afford a coach, but you can't afford a personal trainer. You just want to do something to get you going until you can or maybe prioritise time to do that. Um, it's, a, it's a place to start. It's not gonna, you're going to be really safe doing that. But you... I think the the drawback for fixed weights is there's a lot of the time there's going to be a point where you just can't do any more, and when you get to that point, you've potentially limited yourself when it comes to the free weights because you haven't developed the control, the proprioception to be able to balance an external load. For instance, if you have to control an external load, this is why you see when you get like a bodybuilder that's never been on or never done any free weights, which is rare. Um, and they've only ever used machine weights, you bring them onto a dumbbell and they're shaking all over the place, or you put them on a set of rings. 
do a, do a, get a bodybuilder to do a static ring dip or a static bar dip, um, which is where someone is you've got two parallel bars beside them. They're not touching the floor. They lower themselves all the way down and press themselves all the way back up using their arms and chest. Put them on a set of rings when there's it's unstable and it's all over the place. Can't can't even stay can't even stay still at the top of the rep, let alone lower themselves down a lot of the time. Um, whereas if they started with that, started with the rings, developed that control, their strict straight bar dip would be better and stronger. So there is pros and cons to both. Um, I liked what you mentioned there. Programming and periodization. How do you program strength? How does one get stronger? How do we do it? <laughs> it's completely context specific. Um, I think it's like that's our cop out for everything, but it's true. <laughs> it's completely context specific. So you have to start with an assessment uh, to identify that person's technical competency, uh, what their muscle tissue quality is. Uh, so like getting their uh, their body mass readings done, so like overall body mass, fat-free mass, uh, body fat percentages, really, really good information to actually understand what's going on where, what, what their tissue quality is and what they what they need to develop the right thing. So if they have a higher amount of fat, then we want to put them through more aerobic-based or metabolic-based, should I say, uh, weight training. Whereas if someone has a lot of lean muscle mass and they just want to get stronger, then it's that's your potential. So then you utilize that mass and can apply bigger loads in order to help them generate more strength. That makes sense. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, <laughs> like Will said in one of our podcasts, we're like a broken record when it comes to like how do you get stronger or how do you get fitter? Right? Assessment, assessment, assessment. It always starts with assessment. You have to have some context. Um, you have to know why you're doing it. That's an assessment in yourself. So why do you want? Why do you want to get stronger? Um, I want to feel better. Cool. There's your measure for when you've succeeded. I now feel better. Cool. What are you going to do now? Um, you so often I find utilizing strength training in terms of why you're doing it. When someone says, oh, "I want to get stronger," why? Because I want to get stronger. I want to have. I want to lift more weight. Okay. Well, what do you do when you get to that weight, or what happens if you never get to that weight? You're going to be affected by that, and that changes a lot of people's understanding and intent behind why they're utilising strength training, and it allows for a longer term um, level of motivation, longer term level of training. In the past, I've done the opposite and gone right. I want. I need to squat more, and I've never got to that point. I've never squatted 200. It kills me. <laughs> and I now know as I age, I'm getting further and further away from that. And uh, But if I, at the start, I said to myself, okay, the reason I'm squatting is to develop leg strength, which I didn't. I, I, the reason I was squatting was to get better at the squat and have a 200 kilo back squat. I never got there. 197. <laughs> got to. Um, but context is important. Knowing why you're utilizing it is important. Um, what are the different ways of, or what is periodization? I know a lot of people are going to hear or have heard that term and they're going to probably hear it, especially if they utilize a coach or a PT um, or they do some research, they're going to hear the word periodization. So what is that? 
who wants to give us a definition? I think you should, Lee. This is, <laughs> I think you've read like 4,000 books on periodization. I've read one or two. Um, <laughs> periodization, then, is simply the structuring and ordering of your training. Simply that. Um, it's how you divide it up, how you set reps, times, tempo, time under tension, how you do that on a day-to-day basis, or sorry, how you do that on a workout basis from exercise to exercise, how you do that on a day-to-day basis, how you do that on a week-to-week, a month-to-month, and a year-to-year, and how that looks on the grand scheme of your life. Um, And that is periodization. Um, There's a few different ways to periodize. I think it's probably off the top of my head, maybe like eight to 10 different so you've recognized types of periodization out there. I can't think of exactly what the recognized numbers are, but um, linear periodization is the most basic. It's essentially you try and add a little bit of weight each week <laughs> um, or you decrease the time frame or you increase the time frame um, each week. You just add or take away each week from day to day um, for as long as you possibly can, really. You, you aim to constantly improve. Do that right. It works really well. Um, no matter what level you are, I think linear periodization have a, has a place. Um, I personally have been training for weight resistance training, probably resistance training, since I was about 16, maybe. Um, and two years ago, I did nine months of linear periodization with my back squat. And I got really, really fucking strong. <laughs> it was really simple. I added, I said the same same rep scheme for not seven or eight months, I think it was, and I added 1.25 kilos every single week for seven months. And my technique improved, my, um, my Olympic lifting improved, my um, overall strength improved, and obviously my squat improved because of it. Felt really good at that point, just through really basically adding a little bit of weight, tiny bit of weight each week. I had the caveat of uh, I have the reps have to be perfect every single rep, and I have to honestly say to myself, were they perfect reps for every single set? So I did five sets of five for me the next week to add weight. If it didn't, I stayed at the same weight, and I made sure the reps were perfect before I moved on. Um, and like I said, it works really well. What other ones have you guys heard of that, or that you've used in the past? Oh, well, um, so there's undulating, which is where you would alternate. Alternate the right word? I'm going to use alternate. I'm not sure if it's the right word before I explained it. Um, so you have the variables. You've got obviously your, your volume and intensity. Um, you could undulate. So alternate between your high volume and high intensity days, or you could have high intensity, next day would be low intensity, and next week would be low intensity. You can undulate on a daily to weekly basis. Um, so instead of linear wear, which you keep building and building on top of itself, you'd have effectively hard days and easy days or hard weeks and easy weeks. Um, so the management of intensity and volume is easier at that stage, and you're not going to be and it went over training if it's applied properly. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's yeah, like the much vaguest, but 
most specific explanation I can give at the minute. <laughs> I think if anyone wants more clarification on that, they can read a paper by Charles Poliquin, who essentially came up with the idea, but he kind of put a name to it and really made it quite famous in footballers. Um, just type that in daily under or Charles Poliquin daily undulating periodization research paper, and it'll probably come up on Google Scholar. Really good paper to uh, to listen to or read, especially if you're a coach um, or if you just want to learn a little bit more about that. Um, I really like undulating periodization. Um, it allows for a lot of variation. Um, it gets most people a lot stronger in a relatively quick period of time. Again, if done properly, it will um, cut down on the time that you have to do things. Um, yeah, I really like it. <laughs> I use it quite a lot with a lot of my uh, clients. Um, I know, Stefan, that you're a fan of block periodization. What is I that? I am indeed. I am indeed. <laughs> yeah, it's probably my favourite one to use. It's, it's easy enough to understand uh, because you're exposing yourself to the same training programme for six to eight weeks. I mean, my favorite one to go to is six weeks. Um, you're exposing yourself to the same program. So, for example, if this person's training twice a week, if that's all they require, they do those same two sessions for those six weeks. And it's kind of got a little bit of linear periodization sprinkled in there, but they just try and add a little bit of load each time. But really, the main emphasis is to stick to the, uh, well, to focus on technical competency. Uh, within those movement patterns and then get stronger in those specific movement patterns. So, I mean, the way I like to program, I always have a squat pattern, a hip hinge, an upper body push, an upper body pull movement in there. So to get stronger in those specific competencies, as well as bracing um, and some kind of monostructural activity, they can get more technically efficient and stronger in those movement competencies it doesn't really matter what the actual choice of movement is, um, but we just get to advance it every block. So we start with just body weight resist, so air squats, uh, a waiter's bow, or a good morning with a PVC pipe, for instance, um, a banded pull-up or banded chin-up with uh, a dumbbell bench press, or even just a, a push-up, body weight push-up, and then... They expose themselves to that for six weeks, so the same sets, same reps, maybe try and add a little bit extra load each time, get really, really good. And then in the next six-week block, we advance that slightly, so we add a goblet to that air squat. We start to add a little bit more load, so we're progressing each of those exercises. And then every six weeks, we reevaluate what are they better at, what are they not better at, and we can just keep adjusting and tweaking that program based on their specific individual weaknesses to really drive those out. And then, but then in terms of their, their bigger pieces, uh, so their bigger movement patterns, just at, trying to add more load by progressing or making it more technically complex. So changing it from like a goblet squat to a back squat and then from a back squat to a front squat. Technical focus and demand is completely different in terms of manipulation of the load. So it requires a lot more thought. So exposing them to six weeks really allows them to just focus on that, that move for that period of time. Um, and that's why I really like it. So it's it's good for any any level, advanced, beginner, intermediate. It's really, really useful. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just my favourite one to use. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds it. <laughs> a little bit passionate about it. Um, I think actually, like, since we talk, talked about like, types of periodization, 
in relation to strength, I think it's, it's probably good to mention the force velocity curve um, because it plays an important role. Maybe not so much as a beginner, um, but actually it, it does play a lot, a, a big role as a beginner. I'll take that back. Um, so the force velocity curve is if you picture a graph um, and you've got this nice sweeping curve from the, um, like the, the left to the right, um, starting high, finishing low, the top of that curve is known as the absolute strength. It's when force is the highest, but speed is the lowest. Um, we then have um, strength speed, which is obviously we're adding a little bit more speed to it. We then move into power. It's kind of the middle of the curve. Then we move into speed strength. We're getting faster. We're now starting to think of like body weight gymnastic movements. And then we're getting to speed, um, which is velocity. That's when a movement is the fastest. And when it relates to strength, we're thinking about maybe something like an explosive uh, weighted jump or a like an Olympic lift. We're kind of getting down that area. Um, and also like sprinting which require, requires a lot of strength um, and speed at the same time. It's the fastest time you'll the yeah the fastest you'll move um, with a load. So I think it's also it's relevant to talk about that because as a beginner you're going to spend a lot of the time, if not all of your time, within the absolute strength side of the curve. Um, you're not really going to move out of that for a good potentially a couple of years until you develop the strength needed um, and the muscular endurance needed. Got some sun in your eyes there, Stefan. It's a little bit. <laughs> um, Close the curtains. Yeah. It got some, uh, so, yeah, you're going to spend a lot of time in absolute strength because that's where you're going to develop the technical competency that Stefan was talking about, the movement competency. Um, it's very controlled. It's... There's not really a high degree of freedom in there when it comes to the program. It's literally you do what it says on the tin. Um, once you've developed that, that's when you can start uh, mixing movements together and maybe put them into a, an aerobic setting, like a workout, a HIIT workout, um, as, as probably a lot of you will recognise the terminology more. But it's important to talk about that because, as I said, as a beginner, um, which is where our, most of our target audience is, um, they're in that beginner phase. That's where you're going. To, that's where you should be spending a lot of your time. So there's not much need for you to be doing box jumps in workouts, for instance, which I see a lot of. And um, there's not much need for you to be doing battle ropes again, which I see a lot of. You need to be spending a lot of time, a lot of your time, doing body building exercises. And we don't mean like you're going to step on a stage and start posing in a pair of uh, in your bikini or in a, in a pair of speedos, all tanned up. It means you're going to build the structures of your body um, through absolute strength training. And absolute strength training is this way why we think resistance is king, because it helps de to develop ligament and ligament strength and tendon strength. It helps to increase muscle tissue quality, um, which if you have high muscle tissue quality, as we've already mentioned, you know, you're more likely going to have a lower level of body fat. You're going to have a better immune system. Um, you're going to have better range of mo motion around a joint, um, which is essentially mo your mobility. Um, and you're going to live a longer, healthier life. As you start to progress, that's when you can start adding speed into it. Um, that's when you can start having a higher degree of freedom. And once you've developed all of those qualities, or most of those qualities, 
Um, someone might never be super fast. Once you develop those qualities to a reasonable extent where you can control them, that's when you can start adding them into workouts. And um, what we mean, what I mean by a workout is what most people will commonly know as you, you want to get super swelly, you're going to be really out of breath. Um, that's when you can start adding those in without having done those reps um, under load and under control. You're going to struggle to um, break that plateau that will inevitably come at some point. No matter what level you are, no matter whether it's a great program that you're on, if you have a great coach, there's going to be a point where you plateau. It has to be. You can't, you can't, unfortunately, you can't linearly improve forever. You're going to get worse. Um, but the point at which you plateau can be pushed to the right for quite a considerable point in time. Like most people can continue to improve, especially within resistance, probably up until there may be mid 30s pushing towards uh, uh, pushing towards the 40s that's when you're going to start to see a real decline but if you do it right like you said you see um strong men lifting until they're into their 30s um you're probably going to peak for most males around the 28 year old age um so i just gotta get my gotta get my door <laughs> postman's here um yeah, so it's important to uh, it's important to know about force velocity curve. If you're not sure what that is, Google it, um, and you'll be able to see a more graphical representation of that. Anything to add, Will? Yeah, I've just been formulating this huge thought process in my mind while you've been talking about that, talking about speed and velocity. Um, so it's, it applies quite well to a lot of like, hit type programs, cross type programs where people generally neglect their strength training. I'm going to have to go, lads. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Stefan's got to say bye-bye. See you later, Stefan. See you later, guys. Um, where they are adding speed to movements where they are using resistance, external resistance. And we know that um, it's basic physics that if you have force and you increase the speed of that force, the momentum of that uh, force increases and therefore it takes more force to stop it. When you apply that to the body and you have people move in external resistances at high speeds, the amount of uh, force required from the body to control that, um, especially at end range of emotions, increases, uh, thus increasing the stress on the body. And if you've neglected your strength training, there's a high chance your ligament and tendon strength hasn't quite caught up to where you are. And this is where a lot of injuries occur. And you probably find a lot of hip programs, crossfit type programs. People probably have a lot of shoulder injuries, elbow injuries, and knee injuries, all because of the high rep, high momentum movements that they go through with external resistance um, without having the requisite strength there and the ability for their body to uh, prevent, uh, to stop that momentum. I, I get it from a client's perspective. It's like that stuff looks cool to do. It's cool to do like barbell snatches and box jumps and running in a workout. And it's, it's very different. Um, that variety is what, what the, the program will sell you because you, we know or that everyone's attracted to something a bit different, something that they're not doing. Everyone's attracted or most people are attracted to that. Um, so we, we under, completely understand that. And I had a, actually had a consult with someone um he's got a very specific task and goal which i won't say um they went to a crossfit gym um and they were told just to 
jump straight in there. And his, his, their words to me were like, they didn't teach me how to do any of it. And I didn't feel strong enough to be able to do it. And like you said, a lot of the movements that you're, they were doing were high velocity movements. Again, because they're more entertaining, they're more complex, they're more challenging, um, like snatches and overhead squats, but they require a really high degree of strength, as this guy immediately recognised, to control and to actually um, have any benefit out of it. Because otherwise, you're just practising probably a bad motor pattern um if you're new enough to it yeah you might pick it up if you've got good range of motion if you kind of you may be done some sport in the past but if you're completely new then the likelihood is that you're going to end up more than likely demotivated because you're going to recognize something's not right so you're going to leave and you'll look for the next thing that happens so know that whether you if you are looking to get into a, a hit type program that spending some time maybe six months doing some strength work, just going through three sets of 10 reps on every machine in the gym, like maybe do upper body first and maybe do lower body the next day and just repeat that, have two or three rest days in there for six months and then go into it. You'll be much better off. You'll be much safer. Um, Just adding speed to stuff creates problems if you don't have the prerequisites in place um really good point to bring up there will we talked a little bit we mentioned things like tempo and time under tension and pairing and things like that what what does that mean for a beginner will what does what does tempo mean for a beginner uh so tempo is just the speed at which you perform a movement um, in quite general terms, when we talk about uh, movements in the gym, we'll have a, a four-numbered tempo, with the first number being the essential or the lowering phase of that movement. The second number would be the isometric phase at the bottom. Then we've got the concentric, which is the up, where you lift the weight. And then the fourth number would be, again, the pause at the, the top of that movement. So in terms of the squat, first number would be how many times how many seconds it takes you to get from standing to sitting at the bottom of that squat. Second number would be how long do you sit at the bottom of the squat for? The third number would be how long it takes you to stand up. And then the fourth number would be how long do you pause at the top for? Um, Generally with uh, beginners, I'd like to stick with like a two to three seconds for that first number. Um, depending on the movement, there might be a pause at the bottom. So let's say a squat, three seconds down, two second pause, one second up, just a one second pause at the top, get your breath, get your brace ready again. Simple. That is tempo. If you are if you are a beginner and you're not adding tempo to your training and you're not considering it, then do so. You will see major benefits from it, massive benefits on it. Um, it leads us on to time under tension. If you know the time under tension, you can more accurately manage your training stress and volume. Because um, if doing a, um, you can also manage the intent of that movement, but you can change the intent, which is which is variation. That's what true variation is. You're changing the intent of a of a of an exercise. Let's say the squat. You can make those squats very enduring by doing twenty reps at a tempo of three seconds down 
no pause, three seconds up, no pause. So six seconds of constant movement. That's two, two minutes of work for one set of squats. Right, if you do that at a heavy weight, like you're, one, you're going to get a very high metabolic response from it, so an energy system response from it. And like I said, you're changing the intent of, and the outcome of what of that exercise. Um, so if you are a beginner, tempo should be, in, or not should be, it, it needs to be um, a predominant part of your workout. If any of the movements that you're doing don't have a tempo to it, then again, you're, you may be trying to jump a few steps ahead, probably without realizing that. Um, so time under tension is going to allow you to, or the tempo is going to allow you to measure time under tension, um, and it's going to allow you to measure the overall uh, training load. So when you go, why am I not improving? And go, or and you've got a specific number and go, okay, I've spent, let's say, an hour of time under tension quality time under tension a day for the past six weeks. Okay, why don't I just increase that time under tension? Or maybe I need to decrease the time under tension and increase the load. So it allows you to measure the volume quite accurately and allows you to manipulate, like Stefan mentioned, training variables really subtly to get an awesome response. Like you can you can probably manipulate the training variables of a swap for a year, of one single movement for a year, and get really good responses out of it. And that groundwork that you put in just lays the foundation for the Olympicness when you start to add speed into it, if that's where you want to take your training. Um, or for sprinting or whatever it is, when you add, start to add speed to it, you've got the level of um, volume built up and the muscular endurance built up and the tendon strength and all that stuff built up to be able to do that appropriately and get in a massive response from the hip class that you do. And continue to get that response for years. Um, we also talked a little bit about pairing. I think it's actually good to talk about what a beginner's training session might look like. Um, pairing, though, is when you, it's, some people might hit, know it as supersetting. A lot of the time, it's where you pair an agonist and antagonist movement, maybe like a push and a pull. Um, one, because it saves time. Um, there is, uh, like if you're looking for body composition, Pairing movements is great. You can even um, triple movements. Is that really the word? Maybe you have like three movements back to back to back. Um, maybe like a push, a squat, an upper body push and an upper body pull, one straight after the other. They're great because they um, it doesn't allow, it doesn't build up. It doesn't allow the uh, metabolic build up. If that makes sense. Is that the word I'm looking for? Metabolic. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't allow for lactic to build up that burning sensation so if you were to do like three movements of a bicep curl together then it would be really really tough but you could do three movements of a pulling exercise you could maybe do a pull up a lap pull down into a ring row and because of the um the pairing of it it doesn't allow for the high metabolic build up um, metabolite, that's the word I'm looking for, metabolite build-up, Metab metabolic waste build-up, there we go, I'm getting it now, um, because you're, you're moving it, you're, uh, you're utilising a, a bigger range of um, muscle groups, uh, you're emphasising a bigger range of muscle groups, 
um, which doesn't allow for that local metabolite buildup and that local fatigue to set in, which is the burning sensation where you just can't lift anymore. Um, and it, so it allows you to get more work done. More work done equals more calories burned <laughs> in a very simple um, reductionist way of looking at it. Um, but for a beginner, what, what, if you had a beginner, Will, what would a, uh, a session look like? We're not going to go. We'll go through avatars in a bit when we get a bit more specific. But what might a beginner's strength session look like? Uh, so I'm going to use the true true beginner. This literally just literally just step foot into the gym. Um, I would probably take them through. Um, it would probably be like a like a triple two percent. I think so. An A one, A one, A one, A two, A three. Their A one is going to be. Uh, split squat isometric they're going to hold each side for 30 seconds um their next set would be a ring row hold so holding the top part of a ring row uh, again 30 seconds and then they'll go into some sort of uh core slash mid movement um let's just say a elbow plank 30 seconds as well they're going to repeat that four times super simple I think it doesn't need to be sexy at that point, does it? It, uh, it needs to be effective. And they're so so new. They've they've let's say they've trained once before that in their life. That is literally all they need to get stronger. Because thirty seconds of holding those movements is that big enough, as you call it, a scourge away from homeostasis. They would see a response. And and that that's it. like when people. I think there's often a. Um, a misunderstanding that when you want to get stronger, you have to spend hours in the gym. But as a beginner, you can go in, you can get that workout done. You don't need to warm up for that. It's no. 30 minutes, in and out, done. But there's your strength training. And you could do that every single day if you wanted to as a beginner. Um, obviously, we're being very general and um, they, they may need rest in there. It depends on the person, obviously. Um, but you could you could probably do that same session three to four times a week and continue to see a response out of it for six weeks. Like that's, and there's a really safe program. It means you don't have to spend hours in the gym. It means you're going to be stronger so that you can have more time for your family. Or if that's your goal, you can spend more time outside. It's more beneficial for you than going into a um, dimly lit gym with no windows where everyone's got their headphones on. No one's speaking to each other and you're feeling really intimidated and self-confident, uh, self, um, what's the word? I'm not getting my words out today. Not self-confident. <laughs> Is that the word? What's the word I'm looking for? I, think I'm uh, uh, I don't know. When, when someone's self-conscious, there we go. That's what I'm looking for. Um, yeah, so it's efficiency over sexiness. It's movement patterns, it's um, pairing, tempo, it's time and attention. And one of the things you did mention is isometrics, which when we talked about the force velocity curve, absolute strength, you can break that down into another graph. I won't go through it, but the top of that graph is isometrics. It's completely still. You're creating loads of force. Um, you're creating a high metabolic uh, a metabolite buildup. You're... Or, and it's really bloody tough. Anyone that's done isometrics, it's really tough. And especially for pain, um, trying to if you're in pain as a person, that's one of the reasons why you're going to the gym. 
isometrics are a great place to start because it's starting at a very basic type of contraction. Um, a lot of the time, the pain that you're experiencing, if it's like joint pain or muscular pain, it's because your muscles can't contract for a certain type or um, multiple types of contraction at the same time. So just going after one might solve a lot of your pain problems. I know um, people that have a lot of lower back pain, isometric um, hamstring, glute and low back training, amazing. Pain will, pain will reduce significantly if you get stronger isometrically, which is your static contraction. Intermediate, do you want to take an intermediate? Yeah, yeah. Go for it. What what an intermediate session might what might an intermediate session look like? They've graduated out as a beginner. What might intermediate look like? Um, so again, keep it really generalised. Let's say they're going to go for they might have you know, two different like supersets um, targeting that similar sort of uh, muscle group. So let's say they have their A one piece and their A two piece. So they're going to do a back squat and they're going to pair that with a pull up. Um, I don't think we spoke about reps, uh, but for the intermediate, it wouldn't be somewhere between six and ten, maybe three to five sets, uh, depending on who they are and what their goal is. Um, so their A1, A2 piece back squat pull up, and then their B1, B2 piece, we're going to go to unilateral, we're going to work on a posterior lunge and a single arm dumbbell row. Again, similar sort of reps, similar sort of sets. Yeah. It's, it changes in that it's the uh, it's it's a bit more specific now, isn't it? So instead of going, okay, we're just going to do push and pull, we now might be getting to the point as an intermediate where we're going, okay, we we need a specific measure of pulling, so a weighted pull up, for instance, to get better. Um, and it might be within the like the hot the vertical pull, so from like a pull up from overhead down to below your chin. Um, and you might go, okay, well, now we need to go and make sure the left leg is as strong as the right. So we need to do some specific um, strength training there, I think, is, is, the, is what's really changing. The rep schemes are pretty similar. Tempo, I think you can probably now, again, correct me if I'm wrong, um, adjust it a little bit. You can maybe, instead of doing like five seconds down, three-second pause, five seconds up, loads of control, you can start to go, okay, let's add a bit more degree of freedom. You're now going to take two seconds down and you're going to have one second pause. You're going to have one second on the way up and you have two second pause at the top. And so the speed is increased now and the complexity is increased. I have to think a bit more um, and so on. Uh, advanced, what might that look like? A strength for a um, strength session for an advanced person um so we might now just um use that one session to focus specific on uh goal specific movement let's keep it to the same with a squat again um they let's say they want to increase the amount of weight they can lift on their squat for one rep so they might be the start of their training cycle you know five sets of three um there's not going to be a strict tempo but obviously we want control we're going to say two down, no pause, fast up, pause at the top. Um, and then their movements following that are going to be task-specific um, to that goal. So we might include some more, another squat variation, might be a single leg variation, there might be 
a nice metric in there as well. Um, so all movements in that one session for the advanced athlete are going to be increased, specific to increasing weight of that squat. Yeah. In a more split, and when you say split, specific training body parts on each day, there'll be the higher loads, so in theory, higher complexity, um, the intensity is going to be greater. Um, volume is obviously dependent on the goal as well. We might have low volume, really, really high intensity. Yeah. I think it's, again, it's just getting more specific, isn't it? So I think as a beginner, the tendency is to go in and do bicep curls and tricep extensions and sit-ups and um, glute bridges. Actually, you're utilising tools that are designed potentially for intermediate to advanced and they're getting very specific at that point whereas as a true beginner again you need to develop the base of training <laughs> um always makes me giggle the base of training and the volume of training so that you can build on top of that so eventually you can get specific and you'll get more out of it that way if you do it that way around um so I said you can have specific days of uh, training. So you might have a squat day. Um, you might even have a, a leg day. <laughs> but that's when you're going to get super specific. Um, multiple different types of contraction as well. You're going to be well-versed in those. Um, and you're going to be training all of those. So this is where variation comes in. And this is why when we get a an elite-level athlete that's competing in a sport and go, this is what I did. You look at it, you go, wow, they're doing so many different things. It's really varied from day to day. Um, I'm going to do that. But the fact is that you're a beginner. You're 10 years older than them. You've not done any sport in your life. You've got poor nutrition. You've got family. You've got a high-stress job. You've had um, an ACL repair from a skiing accident. Uh, you've had uh, you got lower back pain. You've got arthritis in your shoulder. Um, <laughs> like All these things are going to compound together to create a an environment that will cause more pain if you try to do that program um if you're well because well because that elite athlete has the exact opposite to you never had a proper injury they're super resilient they've got a great coach they've got a great diet they've got great high, um, lifestyle hygiene um they've been doing it since they were like barely able to walk but that's the reason they're at the elite level so we have to just ask that question when cause it's easy just to go strength program online and you'll get a billion hits but those programs aren't for you they're, they're trying to get you stronger whereas as a beginner especially you have to think about getting better not getting stronger getting better will get you stronger in the long run um, but if you don't get better first, then you won't be able to get stronger. You will never hit that immediate, or you might hit that intermediate start point, but you'll never progress any further. You'll be constantly um, flapping your wings trying to take off, but you'll never actually go anywhere. Just like if, if they progress too quickly, they don't understand what they're doing. Mm. You get them in, in an isometric split squat, they'll feel their quads start to burn, they'll feel their glutes start to burn towards the end of that that burning sensation that's quite a familiar term and then they'll know that if they go into a lunge that's what they should feel mm. they're the muscle they, they should feel work yeah. if you get to jump straight into a lunge like, oh 
I, I kind of just, just feel it in my my calf. Okay, it's really just pushing too hard with those toes, not getting the glute and the quads involved enough. But they'll know that because they've been through and experienced what that pattern feels like um, contractually. Contractually? I don't know, that's a word. It's, it's a sensation, isn't there, reporting? And I think that has a lot to do with pain. When, and a lot of people do go to the gym, again, speaking very generally, to get out of pain. They're in some sort of pain, whether that's emotionally or physically. Um, we go to the gym and go, okay, or you go to a therapist, you go to a doctor. My leg doesn't feel right. It's a sensation that you're reporting. Okay, what should a leg feel like? You, well, you should have a, exactly, it's a hard question to answer, but you should have a understanding of, okay, contract your quad. Okay, boom, you squeeze your quad muscle. You have that mind-muscle connection. And like you said, if you spend time doing it isometrically, so you're holding positions, you start to get that local metabolite buildup and go, okay, that's what, that's where my um, glute is. Because someone can go, okay, this is your glute. And you go, okay, that doesn't mean anything to me. I, I can't feel my glute. I can't control it. can't contract it. Um, if you hold that position for long enough, then there is no choice but to start to feel the burning in that area. And that helps create that um, mind-muscle connection. It doesn't have to get to a point where it's like insane pain. Um, just enough fatigue to go, okay, yeah, I can feel that now. Cool. So that's what I should be working. That's what should be starting to tire. Maybe when you're doing it a bit more dynamically, you're doing multiple walking lunges. Um, I think that's a really good point we brought up there. So as a beginner, intermediate or advanced client, it's still quite, I think, before I actually go on, the advanced client, especially when it comes to strength training, um, you have to always consider, again, that the tools that you're utilizing now, you're starting to push beyond health. And you're, if you're getting to the point where you're having to split days up, you're now probably not going, okay, what do I do need to do to be healthier? Because being super strong, being right at the top of that level isn't healthy. Because actually it becomes gets to a point where it restricts motion, it restricts range of um, mobility, it restricts your ability to get um, out of breath. Like just look at the strongman guys, like bit better now in terms of their training methodology, but five, ten years ago and they were struggling to get up the stairs. Like they're super out of breath. Um, they they can't sit in uh, airplane seats. Like that that is low in the quality of your life. Because um, if you have to do a long flight, 11 hours to America, or the UK that is, then you're going to be 11 hours squeezed into this tiny, tiny chair. Like that that becomes, gets to a point where it starts start to degrade. So you always have to consider when you hit that point, if you hit that point is, okay, what am I now doing this for? Is it is it right? Is Do I need to be an advanced, or utilise an advanced training tools? Um if you do utilize them, you can utilize some of them for health, but you maybe you're not going to go for max one rep maxes, like super max training. You're going to go, okay, I'm going to lift heavy. I'm going to build up to a heavy single today, heavy single back squat, and then I'm going to back off, and that's me done for the day. That is utilizing a um, an advanced strategy uh, for uh, health. So it's always key to make that point. Um, so 
I know it's easier for people to relate to like real specific avatars. So we've got some that we've come up with. Um, the first one is a female. They're 45 years of age. They've got two kilos of excess body fat, two years of training history through spin, some hip classes and some yoga and some running. Um, where do we start with that person? Right, so a lot of people probably relate to that. Um, where do we start with that? As always, it's assessment. <laughs> got to assess. Have to assess where you are in your starting point. Um, what sort of things will might a uh, person like that be, or what sort of strength tools might they be utilising? What might their programme look like? Um, so you should now have a look training history from spin, hip, and the yoga I think you use. Um, so they don't actually have much experience using resistance training, specific resistance training. Yes, they've used resistance before in probably in their hip class and yoga obviously is polyweight resistance in some models of yoga. But they have no experience using resistance specifically to train. Um, so they're a true beginner when it comes to resistance training, yet even though they've trained before, so bringing them right back on the scale, we think in higher volume, um, and we think in high volume um, of isometrics, maybe some there might be some dynamic movement in there, but again, they are it's high rep, um, and they're going to be doing that at a very slow tempo. It's going to be very much um, low. That's why about ten minutes ago for that person, yeah. Yeah, essentially, um, yeah, it's going to be very low intensity, i.e., low load. But it's probably going to be mainly body weight, as you said, and we might add some load to the isometric movement. Um, so if they're holding the bottom of a squat. You might go, okay, here's a dumbbell to hold on to. Um, and that's going to increase the intensity of that isometric contraction. Um, I think as before we go into all of these, like you're always going to go through this process of assessment into design of the program, into implementation of that program, into reviewing the program. You're just constantly going through that cycle, um, both on a session-to-session -session basis a day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, and you're always reviewing your implementation. So how how well did you implement the design of the program, and how good was the design based off the assessment? How good was the assessment? So you're constantly reviewing all the processes, um, and you're constantly going through that. Especially if you're doing this yourself, um, you need to have that in mind. Um, otherwise, again, you will get to a point where you get a bit frustrated you're like, just not really getting anywhere anymore you're not sure why if you know if you've been reviewing it regularly and maybe you've written down this is what i used to do when i first started training i used to spend a week writing out or spend a day writing out my week and then i'll review that and go okay i'm doing legs every day i probably don't need to do that um I ha i'm not doing any running and that was required of my uh, job i need to be running fit i need to maybe i need to take a leg session out and put some running in there instead oh i'm not doing any upper body and you just review it and over time you get to you get you get the gist of it i think but again unless you have any a priori knowledge behind that um then you, again you're going to get to a point where you plateau but that's pretty much i think for a uh, female 45 we have to consider they might be um premenopause premenopausal 
Um, so when it comes to trying to shift body fat, it's going to be hard because in that premenopausal phase, in the menopausal phase, it's hard to add muscle mass. Um, it just is, unfortunately. So if you're if it's hard to add muscle mass, then it's hard to reduce body fat levels. Um, so we have to consider their diet a lot. Um, but in terms of strength training, as Will said, it's um, muscular endurance based. So you're going to be doing slightly higher reps. It's a relatively high time of detention. It's very controlled, slow and steady. Um, there's no need for real um, dynamic movement in there. That's, a, again, a rough idea of what a female 45, 2 kilos excess body fat might do. Um, what we actually talked about earlier in terms of the pairing and chickling movements up, that's probably going to be in there really good for body composition. So like, as Will said, you might go from a, uh, a ring row to a ring hold to maybe um, a lap pull down, something like that. Um, very basic, very controlled, uh, but it doesn't allow that metabolite buildup. Um, and it's again, it's movement pattern based. Next one, male, 40 years old, they've got a desk job. They play football on the weekends. They've got 10 years of on and off gym membership history um yeah where well where does a person like that start when it comes to strength training it's, it's tough isn't it until like, you meet this person in real life and see how they move um obviously with specific regards to the fact they sit at a desk but uh and they're 40 years old still charging around for an hour and a half at the weekend and football um that you have no idea how this person moves, but I, I would say probably in a not too dissimilar place from the previous avatar. Maybe we are, are including some more dynamics and willow movements in there. Um, obviously, they play football, and I play football for most of my life. Um, you, you do need the ability to resist high mass external force, and specifically in the lower body, you think about people tackling you into the knees and the ankles and obviously you're running around and you know that running is essentially just a lot of lunges theoretically and um, so they need a high level of muscular endurance and uh, resilience in their lower body um, and so they're, they're desk bound I think we said yeah so we generally find that desk bound people would have uh, some sort of hip mobility problem um, which pairing that with playing football they could be seeing some sort of and niggling injuries around the hips, um, in the groin areas, um, a lot of tight musculature there, and probably a lot of tight musculature in the upper back. We've got quite rounded shoulders, so their strength training is going to be single leg focused, upper back postural focus, and muscular endurance focused as well, so thinking higher volume, slightly lower loads. It's really tough, isn't it, doing these little avatars, because it's shit, like, it's too, like, until you meet them, you can't. We can't yeah. give prescriptions. Like, we can just give general uh, thoughts. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's where I'd start, and that's probably if I had spoken to this person on the phone or over Skype, that's what I'd have in mind until I assess them properly. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important, isn't it? I, I think, especially if they're playing football, um, a high, de a higher degree in their program of like variation in terms of the angles that they're training that so we need to get that 3d type movement in there as opposed to just working in one plane of motion 
backwards and forwards. Well, actually, their their um, football, if they if they if their goal was to okay, just be safe playing football, so they can continue to play football. Well, then okay, we maybe need to get a bit more of that training in there under, under a strength setting because they're doing a lot of it anyway. We need maybe just need to allow them to control it a bit better. And like you said, stability um, and joint stability, ankle sprains, like knee sprains, just joint sprains in general. That's going to be directly related to your ability to contract your muscles um, involuntarily, uh, as well as voluntarily, and the cross section between it. So it's not about getting the joint stronger it's a big app about getting the tissues that stabilize that joint better and higher quality and higher quality um, ligament strength higher quality tendon strength and higher quality contractile ability through the muscular units surrounding that joint <sighs> um so last one 36 years old male or female male and female new parents they generally have a lack of sleep they're putting on body fat, irregular nutrition, high stress. Where would you start? Not even in the gym. <laughs> I love that. <They're... laughs> elaborate, elaborate. What do you mean? Um, so the, the multitude of problems you listed, they need to be fixed up. Yeah. If they're not sleeping, they're not eating properly, and they're struggling for energy and body fat problems, they are all stress nutrition problems. And um, they're probably putting on body fat because they're not sleeping, not eating, but I, which is a highly stressed because they've just had kids as well. Yeah. Um, so it's almost just get them outside for going for a 30 minute walk three times a week. I'll get stronger. <laughs> yeah, they would get stronger. That's <laughs> the thing. Um, their, their legs would get stronger, their midline would get stronger. But getting them to eat properly first before we even get them in the gym. Yeah. People in that situation, so you think, oh, I'll go to the gym. You probably won't see the results you want because 80% of what helps in the gym isn't the best. It's, it's probably important that, obviously, if, you're, if, they're, if you write a program, you say to them, okay, that you don't need to go to the gym, I just need you to go out for a walk instead and let's sort your nutrition out. They're going to have more time to get sleep they're then going to have more time to look after their kid and care for that. And they're going to have more time to look after the nutrition because they're not spending hours in the gym. Yeah. But that is allow them, that is then going to allow them just more time. I don't want to get philosophical on that and the, <laughs> the idea of getting more time because we've only got a certain amount on this planet. Um, <laughs> time is made up anyway. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, they're, they're gonna. Uh, it's gonna allow them to get into a position where the kid is maybe sleeping better, their nutrition is better, their aerobic metabolism, or met, uh, aerobic metabolism, metabolism is better, so that when they actually get round to having the time to go to the gym, their stress is lower, and they're not. We're not placing more stress because that's what training is: stress on an already stressed system because what will most likely happen is we, in, in most cases is that parent will go to the gym like, yeah i need to go to the gym to fix the problems no but they go anyway and they go a little bit too hard a little bit too quickly and they get injured 
they maybe hurt their arm, hurt their shoulder. So when um, you're, let's say it's the guy that hurts their shoulder because they bench press a bit too heavy, a bit too quickly. The woman is at work or the, the wife is at work or husband is at work, whatever, partner is at work. And they, it, it hurts to pick the child up. You're now in pain. You're now in a worse position you were in because you're now in pain. And now you go to a coach and they have to fix the injury as well as the stress, the poor nutrition, the poor sleep and so on. You've just added to the problem. Um, and you, and you're now waste, you've now wasted six months doing it. <laughs> like you're in no better position. Um, you're actually now worse off. So it's, uh, it's important to remember that strength training doesn't always happen in the gym. Um, I think that's an awesome point to end on. Um, so that's how to get strong, or a basic overview of getting strong for beginners, intermediates, and advanced. The types of strength training, the types of periodization, how you put it together, how you define it, the pros and cons of it. Um, but the fact is, strength is important to maintain a higher quality of life and maintain longevity. So if you don't know how to do it um, and you're just trying to figure it out, stop wasting time, get yourself a bloody coach. Stop fucking wasting money and get yourself a coach. Someone that knows how to do it, it's their job to do it. You wouldn't pay a, you wouldn't try and build your own house if you had no idea how to fucking swing a hammer, would you? Um, you would hire a builder, you'd hire a consultant to at least tell you how to do it. That's what we do. Um, we are consultants that um, guide you through the use of a long-term relation, professional relationship to improve your quality of life, predominantly through the use of um, exercise, in quote marks, lifestyle and good nutrition coaching. Um, and if you're interested in that, give us a call. Um, go onto the website, book on one of our pictures or click on one of our pictures and be able to book, us, book a 15-minute free consult with us to find out whether or not we can actually help um, or drop us an email and uh, we'll see what we can do. Get a bit of feedback, so I'm going to cut off now. But other than that, peace out.